This is your time to lit up with Angela Breidenbach. Lit Up is lighting up the literary world with book reviews, in-depth expert interviews, and ideas for you to design a lucrative writing career. Expand your imagination to enhance your life. Lit Up is always family-friendly, always good for your heart. Now, here is your host to Lit Up, Angela Breidenbach. Angela Breidenbach, and thank you for joining us today at Lit Up. This is a show where we talk about all of the different variety of things that are happening in the literary world from books to movies, and we're hoping that you will enjoy not only learning from the authors a little bit about them and about their books, but we also want to share with you a little bit about the industry itself. So if you ever had a dream of becoming a writer, becoming a screenwriter, being somehow involved in the in the industry, then we're going to share with you some different experts that are going to give you advice and ways to build a career. Or if you just always were curious what it's like, you're going to get that here too. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. Our guest is Jennifer Vanderclip, and she's a sister author with me in The Pencil Dancers. And we have a blog together that with Jennifer and Liz Tolsma, and Diana Brandmeyer, we like to impart whatever we know. Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little, but we like to help other people grow the kind of career they want. And it can be anything from how the craft works to you know marketing to writer's life and, and healthy writer's life. And Scrivener, we've talked a little bit about that already on this show. And we're going to ask a few questions of Jennifer because she uses it in a different way. So you're going to hear a lot about all these different things coming up in the show today on Lit Up. So we're glad you're here with us. Grab your caffeine because that's how we work. And we will get started. I want to tell you a little bit about Jennifer Vanderclip's book. Uh, it's called Protective Custody. And it is, she writes in the crime and the drama and all this kind of stuff into her work, which is really fun. Where, on the other hand, I tend to write those sweet romances. So it's fun having these different uh, types of genres work in. And you don't have to be one type or another to enjoy the writing scene and to gain knowledge from the writers that we're talking to. In protective custody, a cop burned by love falls for a key witness in a crime implicating the town's rich and powerful. The Lifestyle Magazine editor Heather McAllister was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, that happens to me all the time. Just saying. (laughs) What she saw sends her faith in life into a tailspin. As a key witness in a crime shaking the town's power brokers, doing the right thing may cost her everything, including her life. Detective Kyle Taylor is in the midst of solving the town's worst crime spree, a case that could make or break his career. When the woman he thinks he might have a future with witnesses a gang initiation gone wrong before they can finish their first date. He's spent his entire adult life protecting his hometown. Now he's protecting a woman he'll risk everything to save. With more than their future at risk, they must discern betrayal from trust, image from truth, while avoiding a danger closer than they think. Now, that's the that's the story concept. But what I think is really important here is that in anyone's life, there are moments where you have to really face that 
um, that animal of trust. And it can be a very painful moment in your life. And I think reading um, a really good uplifting book uh, like this, and why do I say uplifting? Because it's it's also got the element of faith in it. And I think when you start to come from a place where you have felt betrayed, and seriously, what human being has never felt betrayed before in their life? Everybody experiences it. But how do you gain that trust back? And I was just having this conversation with my husband last night. We went for a walk. We live here in Montana. We went for a walk in the mountains. And there was there was someone that came back to us asking if that person could re-enter um, a position that they had had before. And my husband is like very willing to open that conversation and just get a feel for that person. I, on the other hand, am a person who struggles with trust. So a book like Protective Custody is a great one for me to read because it can maybe help me overcome that dilemma of trust when somebody has betrayed you before. And I think it's really a great way to read and listen and touch on concepts that help you to widen and broaden your thinking and your an opportunity in your life. And reading is a great way to not only build relationships, but to see past your blinders. And I think reading this kind of a novel helps you to um, see how other people react to things. And they call that like third party. So if you were to give somebody a compliment and say, oh man, that's, that's a really pretty dress. That person is appreciative and says, thank you. But if you say to someone else within the hearing of the person wearing the dress, man, she looks gorgeous tonight. That is a really pretty dress. The person who is receiving the compliment third party because they've overheard that actually has a higher level of appreciation for the compliment that's been given. There's there's something to that concept. And so I think when you're a reader and you're watching a character go through their struggle, overcome a sense of betrayal and learn how to trust again, there's a subconscious third party uh, experience happening. So you can not only learn what's happening in the story, but you can actually learn ways of trying this kind of a concept in your own life because it doesn't feel like you're being put on or challenged uh, immediately, like a conflict challenge happening to you because you're actually seeing it in a third party situation. So we actually learn more than we realize when we read books. So I want to tell you a little bit of uh, top reviews that have come from Protective Custody. I think these are really kind of fun. So uh, here's what is said about Jennifer's book. A page turner that really captures your attention and keeps you engaged. Even though it's fast paced, the tender romance is touching. Readers can relate to this must read book. Heart pounding, funny, entertaining, with a message to trust God. Great characters. And I think those kinds of comments, when you start to see what other people think, again, it's third party, where you get the opportunity to see what other people think, it opens your mind up to think about it too. So what if you were reading a book that you could relate to, that made your heart pound, that was funny and made you laugh, and entertained you, sometimes you smile, and gave you a message that you could trust God? Wouldn't that be worth reading? I think so. So I want to tell you a little bit about Jennifer Vanderclip. She's a mom 
to two and a stepmom to four. She and I have a lot in common. All of us reversed. I have four and stepmom to two. So we both have six kids. Navigating the teens while battling her daughter's juvenile arthritis, exploring the delights of her son's autism, and keeping gluten-free. A California native transplanted to the Midwest, her favorite thing is discovering with her husband how much there is to love about seasons, snow, and the delight that is Michigan. Now, I think those are some really interesting topics in themselves because you're dealing with a family that has juvenile arthritis, autism, and gluten-free all in one. And on top of that, this girl likes snow. She has to be interesting. I live in Montana, and no, I'm sorry, I do not like snow. But I want to welcome to the show today, Jennifer Vanderclip. Hey, Angie, how you doing? I am great. I'm excited to read about your book and to hear about what people think about it. Um, did you know I was going to share that? I didn't. And I think that's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's what you were saying about the third party compliment. And, you know, as being a writer, you are in your own world and alone so much that to hear somebody, you know, go out on Amazon and put these nice things out about your writing, it, it, it's kind of nice to hear it. Your crit partners, as you know, will say good things about your writing and other people that you might show your writing to, but to people that don't even know you that are saying those nice things, that really does make it feel like it's worthwhile. It does. And that third party thing comes in in so many different arenas, because not only are you, um, oh, I hate to say this word because it can have a negative connotation, but it really is the right word, a voyeur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're here in the story, but you're so intimately there. You get to be the fly on the wall about somebody's most intimate thoughts. It's really true. And I think that's one of the interesting things about um reading is that it does still affect your brain in some of that same ways as if you were participating. I mean, you may not ever have an experience in your life, let's hope not, where your life is in danger in that way. But being able to read about it, it's the same emotional reaction. And then you can still process some of those things that maybe your life is not in danger, but your emotions are in danger. And so you can take some of that experience as if you already lived it and apply it to a different situation in your life without having to go through all of the, the actual trauma of it. But it is true. It's a similar kind of process. It's kind of fascinating when you start thinking about the brain science behind it. Yeah. And I think it's a really important thing, too, that when we when we start to read a story that we we not only grow and learn from it, from the details in it, but like you said, emotionally. And there's been times when I've read something in a book that has helped me over that emotional hurdle. And it makes me excited to pick up another book and see what else I might learn. And I think I've learned a, most of my way of dealing with people has really been in books and seeing how different characters do it and what I like and what I don't like. And it has surprised me how much that has expanded and enhanced my life. I think that's really true. I have said to many people that I sort of learned how to be a grown-up by reading books because <laughs> you only know your experience and maybe the experience of some close friends and family members, but that can be a very narrow experience. And if they haven't gone through a certain situation or you want to know how to handle it, I bet you can find a book that addresses that issue, whether in fiction or nonfiction. And it's a great way to sort of think, oh, wow, I wonder how so-and-so would have handled that in this situation. And it's kind of fun, really. There was a study once done for Romance Writers of America, if I remember right, 
where they asked um, readers, you know, have you ever tried something from the book? 90% of readers had tried something as simple as a recipe to something as how to engage in a conversation that they thought was going to be difficult, you know, from having read. I thought that was really special because it's very difficult sometimes to know what to do. But if somebody's shown you how, then it's a lot easier. You know, we're going to go into the break here coming up. But I want to make sure people know that they can find you and your books at jennifervanderclip.com. And that her last name is actually two words, and it's V-A-N-D-E-R-K-L-I-P-P, P as in Paul, right? P-P as in Paul. So jennifervanderclip.com. The book we're talking about today is Protective Custody. And this, tell us what you would say is the um, genre. Uh, it's Christian romantic suspense. Christian romantic suspense. Ooh. But then again, I think all romance is suspenseful. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you want to find out more about me, the host, Angela Breidenbach, you can find me at AngelaBreidenbach.com. And I hope you'll listen in for the rest of the show where we're going to get into more about editing. And you can find out where the magic is in the writing industry. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Free radicals and antioxidants are at war with each other. Antioxidants stop free radicals, also known as oxidants, from traveling through your body and damaging your cells. Free radicals are molecules created when they are oxidized or lose electrons. According to Weight Watchers, research suggests that adding antioxidants found in fruits, vegetables, and grains to your diet is well worth it. Antioxidants may help stave off stroke, heart disease, and diabetes. On top of that, some studies indicate that antioxidants may even delay the onset of many age-related diseases. Since your body does not manufacture the main antioxidants, which are vitamin E and C, beta carotene, and the trace metal selenium, it is important to add these to your diets. Be sure to consume fruit, vegetables, and whole grains. I'm Annette Hammond. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. Hi, this is Angela Breidenbach, and you're here with us on Lit Up. And this is the show where we light up the entire writing universe, from books to movies, from behind the scenes to building your career. 
And if you ever dreamed of doing anything in the writing industry, or you're just really curious about the people in the writing industry, this is a show for you. So we're glad you're here today, and I am so happy to have my friend Jennifer Vanderclip with me, because not only is she a writer, and her new book is called Protective Custody, which is a Christian romantic suspense, but she's also a professional editor. And Jennifer, would you tell us really quick, what's your background in editing? Well, I have been in the business for probably 15 years professionally. Um, I, probably the biggest title anyone would recognize is that I was the managing editor at Zondervan for the Bibles department. And that was a fabulous job because I got to see every aspect of the publishing business from you know acquiring a project all the way through the editing process, through the production, through the distribution, every single part of that. And that was really eye-opening. I had always approached the process before from the other side of the desk as author and editor and then you know hopefully submitting to a publishing house but seeing it from the other side has been really fascinating so I feel like I've got the whole 360 of what it's like to from every aspect and uh, the people that I met in the business of course uh, you know there's some fabulous people working in that industry and I'm married to one of them so it turned out pretty pretty good anyways <laughs> being <laughs> Uh, a little unexpected perk, um, but they have a totally different view of the industry than authors do, and I found that really interesting, and so it's been kind of fun to have that experience from both sides there. Wait a minute, a different view. Do, do you feel like it is a competing view? Not really, um, but you know, as authors, we're, we sort of look at the publication process as sort of this holy grail. Um, and when I have sat in on pub boards, you know, it's so many times it is not the quality of the project. It's so much more about, wow, you know, we just did something like this or that's we have this hole in our line and we really need something else to fit in it. And so I think the one thing that I tell authors so often is that it is really not about you. Um, if you get rejected so many times, don't take that personally or that it's any reflection on your writing because most of the time it's really just there wasn't a spot for it and that was a, a really revealing part of the process because I don't think authors quite understand that nearly as much as they probably should. So they personalize it and think that they don't like me, they don't like my work. And, of course, our work as authors or as screenwriters um, is very personal to us because the the comment that we've been told is the only way to get real emotion into your work is to bleed on the page. And, and what that means is pour out your real emotions. And so if you're doing that, then that that they call it your baby. But in all reality – it's your your spirit, your soul, your your sense of being. It has been poured out onto the page. So when somebody rejects that, um, maybe that's why we can help other people understand why it feels like a personal rejection to an author. Yes, and they're just looking at it as a product, you know. Right. So it's a completely different mindset in that way. And that is a hard thing as a writer is to get that distance from your work to really look at it as a product and not necessarily, you know, I mean, I think you have you have to sort of hold both. And it's the same sort of processes when you're editing versus creating. When you're creating, you want to be in all of that emotion. You want to be in your character's world. But then when you move to the editing brain, you have to switch 
and become more distant and more objective. And that is a, it's a challenge, you know, when, whether you're dealing with the marketing piece um, and in that publishing arena or whether you're dealing with the editing piece, it is, it is a totally different parts of your brain. And I don't think you can ever really uh, be cold hearted about your own work. You know, <laughs> there's always going to be that sense of, you know, I mean, if you were, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be necessarily out there trying to get it published because you wouldn't probably care. Uh, and and maybe there are people who don't really care. Uh, I don't know. I haven't met any of them. I don't know, I don't know anybody that... <laughs> You go to all, like you said, the amount of emotional energy that it takes to create a book um, is is huge. And so it becomes extremely valuable. And, you know, I don't think, honestly, there's very few people that the publishing process sort of fully recompenses that for you. I mean, you just can't hardly make back uh, in monetary ways. Um everything that you poured into it emotionally. But I think on Converse, what really does pour into you emotionally is the things like the reviews. Um, I had a reader uh, email me about protective custody and how much the scripture that I used in there really spoke to her. And, you know, every story has a different level of scripture and faith based, depending on what the story needs. Um, And protective custody happens to have a lot of it because Heather, the main character, is dealing with this huge life-changing issue. And she is really having to lean on God to figure out how to survive. And so there is a lot of that in there. And that really did speak to readers. And that meant a lot to me because I was able to say, hey, this really helped somebody uh, get through something in their life. And I don't think you can quantify that. And so, you know, it's one of those getting paid back on the emotional level more so than, you know, even on the monetary level. I think that's true. I We had an earlier interview with um, Dr. Ted Bear, and we were talking about the difference between being the coach, inspiring someone to do their best work and create something. There's actually a higher payback uh, for the coach emotionally in, in not just job satisfaction, but in um, sense of self, uh, your, your work that, that you're doing is bigger than a job. And I think writers really enter into that you know, arena where your book, your writing is bigger than you. And we get lost in the fact of so tightly holding, so tightly owning those words and that that those words on the page belong so much to me that if anybody changes them, they're not going to be really me or they're not going to be uh, legitimately what I have to offer. And so can you speak to that, that tight-fisted, um, I don't know how to say that best without offending any other authors out there. I'm so sorry, but the tight-fisted author who's who's unwilling to let go of their work into what would be more a cooperative piece to make that work better. Can you speak to that? Sure. Um, And that's why when I talk to clients about what their goals are for their work, I I talk to them about their why. Why are you writing this? What is your purpose in this? And sometimes it is, you know, I will do whatever it takes to get it published. And whatever that means, whatever I need to change, I will do that. Other people are kind of on the opposite extreme, like what you're saying, and they're like, nope, this is the story. It has to be just like this, and I am not interested in making any other changes. And that is completely fine. You just have 
have to change your expectations of where you think that story might go. So in other words, if you are not interested in making those changes, uh, then maybe your whole purpose is going to be just to, to share the story with your family and close friends. And there's nothing wrong with that. And certainly with print-on-demand publishing and all of the technology advances, we can do that. And I'm certainly willing to help someone do that. Um, but if your goal is to seek, you know, more monetary success, whether traditional publishing or any publishing, then there are certain story things that readers expect and certain things that are key elements in good story and good storytelling. And so if that is your why, then you are going to have to be willing to come under those sort of rules of engagement, so to speak, and be willing to move in that way. So usually I kind of address it as what is your purpose? What do you want to accomplish? And then, okay, what's the best path to get there? And so continue to think about why you're doing what you're doing. I'm going to ask a really hard question here because, you know, you opened the door. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so when, when somebody, I don't, okay. Do you think people are really truthful when they say um, that they don't want to make any money? It's just a ministry. Um, hmm, that's a good question. I think a question because I, I can tell you my opinion. <laughs> I think it's I think it's mixed. I think some people really do feel that it's a ministry, but I think that's probably the minority. I think most people would like it to feel like it's a ministry, but hope that they get money. Um, and that's, you know, it's a it's a pretty time consuming thing to have as a quote unquote hobby. So most people are really unwilling to spend that much time and effort and emotional effort and energy into something without getting something back, uh, whatever that may be, whether it is accolades or actual finance or whatever it is. And unfortunately, in our society, there is a correlation between success and monetary success. So if you're good at what you do, you should get paid for it. Um, and that's not, we all know, there's plenty of great jobs, for example, being a parent uh, that does not have any monetary success tied to it. Uh, but it's enough to make a great job, you know, make a great living and they can, they can pass back. <laughs> it, but, it's a sticky, I think it's complicated. It's a complicated emotional question like many of these things are. I think the other part of that though is uh, it's very short-sighted. If yeah. you if you say, oh, it's just a ministry and I don't need to make any money. Well, then my question is, how are you going to get it into the hands of those readers? Well, that's exactly right, because it does cost you some money. And at some point, unless you are, you know, have unlimited resources, you got to have something coming back to help you keep putting things out. And on top of that, if you're if you want to just I, I met somebody who said, I'm just going to pay for this and I'm going to give these books away. Well, you know what? You can give away a lot of things, but usually the things people have to pay for are the things that they value. That and is very true. Very so true. So taking away value from something means that it's much more difficult for that person to, I mean, they might throw it on their table and never pick it up again because there was no value invested. And I think that's an important part of this whole dynamic. So we're going into the next break, but I want reader, uh, readers, listeners, people to hear that Jennifer's going to come back and she's going to tell us more about her tips and tricks for editing and how we can make the best book 
possible. So stick with us here on Lit Up. And this is Angela Breidenbach with Jennifer Vanderclip as our special guest. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. According to Men's Health magazine, Australian researchers found that every hour in front of the TV trims 22 minutes from your life. A study at the University of Vermont discovered that overweight participants who cut their daily television time in half from an average of five hours to two and a half hours burned an extra 119 calories a day. Another study reported that overweight people had an average of 3.4 television sets in their homes, while lean people had an average of 2.6 television sets. It is reported that of people who lost weight, 63% of them watched less than 10 hours of TV a week. All this research should encourage you to watch TV in moderation and choose to go for a brisk walk instead of sitting in front of the television. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Girlfriend It is on Togginet, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend It principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out GirlfriendIt.com and then be a part of Girlfriend It, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, GirlfriendIt.com. Don't miss Girlfriend It with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. Hi, this is Angela Breidenbach, and you're here with us on Lit Up. And by us, I mean my special guest, Jennifer Vanderclip. And she's written the book, Protective Custody. She actually has more books than that, and I'll ask her a little bit about that toward the end of the show. But she is a professional editor in her own right. Having spent time at Zondervan and... She's now doing freelance editing as well, and she's editing one of my books that's going to be re-released soon, so I'm pretty excited about that. So, Jennifer, would you uh, mind sharing with us, if you were to, let's just do a quick overview of editing. What are the main things you look for first when you're starting out and the process that you're going to use? And then we'd love to get into some tips and tricks of editing so that uh, writers can kind of keep an eye out for that. And so that we educate our readers so they kind of know what to to look for when they're trying to do a review. Okay, great. Um, One of the first things when I'm taking on a client is I want to see 
usually maybe the first three chapters to 50 pages because that beginning is so important. It's so important to get your beginning right and because your readers are going to pick up your book and they're going to look through it and they're not going to give you a lot of time to get them engaged and interested or they're going to put your book down. So that is a huge part of where I'll spend most of my time and where I'm going to look the most. The other thing is I usually like to ask for a synopsis. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, detailed or fancy. I know writers hate synopses because <laughs> they're just, I mean, really, how do you put, you know, 300 pages onto two pages, right? right? So it's okay. Just tell me what you're thinking, where your story is going, because I need to know that you know where your story is going. And it's really hard to edit a book at the beginning when you don't know where it's going to end, <laughs> because it's like a map. You need to have the, the key points all along the way. And I need to know that you understand what the structure, story structure is. Um, which really leads into the main one of the main points that you look for in editing. And people can apply this to their own self-editing as well. Um, all of these tricks sort of go both ways. Uh, the main caveat I say is that it's, again, like I said earlier, it's hard to get enough distance from your own work. And so I always highly recommend, you know, having an editor, uh, good critique partners, um, any, anybody at that kind of level. Critique partners is sort of a whole other little subject. You can have good ones and you can have bad ones. So make sure you have good ones. They will be helpful for you, right? Um, but the main thing, there's a couple main areas that I always look at. Structure is really important. It doesn't really matter if you believe in the the one act or the one act, if it's a smaller, like a novella. Um, some people like two acts. Some people like the traditional three act. There is the three disaster structure. There's the hero's journey, whatever you want to call it. Your story needs to have a structure because the way the human brain is wired to understand story, there's certain things your reader is going to be expecting, whether they know they're expecting that or not. And if you don't follow that, it's they're, they're going to be very disappointed and they're not going to understand what's going on and they're going to put your book down. The, the one criteria, criteria that we hold all of the stories to is does it emotionally engage your reader? No matter what you do, if you are not emotionally engaging your reader, it is not a successful book. For example, you have heard this. Uh, people will say, readers will say, oh, I love such and such author. And we as authors will go, I can't believe that because they head hop and they do lots of telling and they do all these, they break all these rules, yeah. right? But yeah. they they kept to the main rule was that they emotionally engage their readers and readers can forgive a lot of things if you emotionally engage them. So that's going to be sort of the, the, the gold standard of what we want to hold every writer to as we go through and look in all these sections. So your structure needs to be um, a story structure that's going to be emotionally engaging your characters. They have got to be emotionally engaging and, uh, from the very beginning, we're going to want to know what's going on with this character. Why did we start the story here today of all days? Why did we decide to start the story here? And usually it's because your character has been living their life way before the opening pages of your book. And then something has happened that's like a tipping point and they can no longer continue living life the way they have been. Something is, is making them change whatever that is. And that's where your story needs to start. I see, you know, this, that's probably one of the things I see wrong most of the time. We get too much 
in the backstory. And I know readers feel like they know their characters and they spend all this time developing them and they want to share all of that. But don't give it to us right away because we don't know them the way you do and we don't care about them yet. You have to make us care about them and you get about just a really short, like three pages <laughs> to get your reader engaged going, you know, in that. So sometimes less, sometimes really a lot less. And you and I know, because we both judge a lot of contests um, as a contest judge, we can tell right away within just a short period of time, if this is going to be a book that's a contender or not, because if the writer cannot get you engaged right away, uh, then they're not going to be able to going on. It doesn't matter if it gets better later on, you've lost your reader already. So beginnings are hugely important um, and having characters. So your characters are going to be ones that your readers can identify with in some way. If Even if you write science fiction and your main character is some sort of alien, uh, there has to be that emotional connection. Remember, we're gauging on how well we emotionally connect with the characters and so some level there's got to be some way where we can relate to that character on an emotional level whether they're heroic or they're likable or they're funny or they're sympathetic there's got to be something there from the very beginning that makes us go hmm this is an interesting person i want to see what happens to them you can have starting out in the antagonist point of view if there's, you know, I, I heard this example once and I cannot remember where. I want to say like Christopher Vogler or something like that. The Michael Michael Hogue um, DVD series that talks about um, the hero's journey. You know, I, I want to say this is where I heard it, but I could be wrong. But it was even if you're starting out in the antagonist point of view and he is a villain, mm-hmm. uh, we make him likable because there is something that he's good to whether it is a street person where he gives you know some money or it's a, a child that he pats him on the head and helps him up because they fell down and bumped their knee, you know, something likable. And there are antagonist stories like that where they're, um, they're a hitman. You know, Bruce Willis tends to play a lot of those, you know, hitmen that he's trying to get out of the business so we sympathize with him because he wants to be good and yet he's drawn back into something bad, you know. Exactly. And and this is where backstory can play a really great role in that what happened to him in his past that made him have to live this lifestyle. Because then as a reader, we can go, well, shoot, if I was in that same situation, I might make that same decision. I might still, you know, I might struggle the same way he's struggling. And so there's a, a level there where it is relatable even with your villains. And, and that's a very good point that even if it's not your main character, um, your villains you know, to use a very broad term, your antagonist, uh, he needs to be, he's the hero of his own story. And you need to be able to tell your whole story from his point of view that makes sense and is still completely believable and the motivations are still all there. That was the first problem I ever uh, encountered with the first book I tried to write. And of course, it's under the bed and never come out. But... (laughs) But that was my problem was my antagonist was two-dimensional and I did not understand to make him the hero of his own story. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, you have to think about it. If if your antagonist is a fake, if he's cardboard, your hero doesn't have to be very strong to overcome him. And we want our heroes, and take that as a very broad term, um, heroes, heroines, main characters. The main character, yeah. 
if you want, they need to be strong, right? We want the stakes to get harder and harder and harder. So we're emotionally like gripping on the end of our seats. How are they going to ever overcome this? It's got to be a challenge that is worthy of them because if it's not, then they didn't have to be terribly heroic to overcome it. And I think it's really hard to see that uh, in our own eyes, which is why I think an editor can Mm -hmm. really help you. Because I know like in the book I, I just sent you, it's like, I want to expand this book and I think I know where, but. I would like your comments on where, because I think this is the part where we get lost as writers and we start to get that tight fistedness. It's like in screenwriting, you have to understand that it is completely collaborative. Mm -hmm. You're just basically writing a concept idea and it has to read so that people are enjoying it. It has to be either funny or heart thumping or, you know, whatever, but it's more in like a first person and a dialogue point of view, which is tough for me who likes third person. But when I'm writing a novel um, or even a nonfiction book, as an author, I have to understand that this is actually, if it's going to come out into the big wide world and go wide and be in distribution, I have to understand that my book is actually collaborative effort as well. And if I can take that concept in and understand that and, and think more like a screenwriter that everything I'm doing is collaborative, then I have a lot better opportunity to be successful with that work. And my name still gets to go on the cover and I still get to go out and market and promote. Oh, wait, there's a lot of authors that don't like that part. (laughs) 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 But the reality is that it is a collaborative effort. And when you start to wrap your mind around that and work with an editor like you, um, even if I get something back from an editor that I don't like, I just take a step back, breathe, and I set it down and I come back to it and I can see it with a lot more clear thinking that whether that that editor is right in their idea or not, the fact is if I don't open my mind to what that editor is saying, then I close the door to the options of making my book a better book. I agree. And I think the thing to remember is a good editor and a good critique partner are there to help you make your story all that it can be and not to hurt you. And that is the thing to keep in mind. And exactly, if their exact wording is not quite on, I have found sometimes um, as a writer, my critique partners have picked out something and then I'll go, oh, yeah, not that, but oh, this, which is even better. And I think that's the thing to keep in mind. This can help you make your writing even better and take it to the next level. And and be a brainstorming session as well. If you think of it as brainstorming and um, fixing, not just fixing typos, it can be a really great collaborative effort. Um, We're going to be going into our next break. But Jennifer Vanderclip is here with us on Lit Up today. And you can find more about her books and her editing at jennifervanderclip.com. And my name is Angela Breidenbach. And you can find out more about me at angelabreidenbach.com. And we will be back with you after this short break to share tips and tricks of editing. So thanks. And we'll see you in a minute. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. Yeah. 
show that supports women who are in the midst of a transition in midlife. The show is Second Wind. Here's what certified coach, author, and host of Second Wind, Joyce Buford, wants you to know. It's so empowering for women to hear about other women and their accomplishments. We all need cheerleaders, someone who's on our side. Second Wind is that program to help women connect with other women, hear other women's stories. In a stressful world. Find power in those stories. Learn to discover your passions and joys again. Create the life you want to live to the fullest. Join us for Second Wind with Joyce Buford, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central, right here on the TogiNet Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Soups are often included in healthy, low-calorie diet plans. But as with most foods, the calories and nutritional value can be very diverse. A typical bowl of soup has two cups and can range from 75 calories for a bowl of gazpacho to over 600 calories for some chowders. Research shows that many soups are very high in sodium. When tested, the results showed that 99% of the supposedly healthy and light soups contain salt above the daily recommended level. When choosing soups, go for the broth and water-based varieties. In general, the more water a soup contains, the less calories. Skip cream-based soups that are full of fat. It is always best to order a cup of soup rather than a bowl. Keep your quantity small and your calories low. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. Angela Breidenbach, and you're with us here on Lit Up, because we're going to get lit up about the literature world, and that is from books to um, movies, anywhere in between. Whether you're a reader, a writer, or you're just a dreamer, we're here to make those dreams come true. So Jennifer Vanderclip is with me today, and I just want to ask you to give us uh, some of your best tips and tricks for editing. If we're self-editing on our work, or if we're a reader looking for things, how do we know how to make that literature better? I think two things we've talked about is getting that distance from your work. And one of the best ways is just to set it aside for a while. And, you know, in this world of sort of rush, 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 uh, I find that many books would have benefited by just being put aside for a while and coming back with it with fresh eyes, have a little bit of distance. And I think even as a writer, you'll be able to see some of the things that you could have fixed and switched or whatever. By the time you get to the end of your story, you know so much more that you can go back and fix the beginning. And I I find that a lot of writers just run out of time for various reasons. Uh, But if you can build that time into your schedule, so you have time to just let it sit, that is a huge advantage right there. The other thing is uh, print your work out. You know, I, we're going to be talking about Scrivener. I work in Scrivener, um, just last night, I printed out the novella that's due in May that I'm working on and put it into Word and printed it out because it looks completely different than it does on the screen. And you it's amazing the things you catch. You're just like, 
what in the world? How did that get there? You know, because <laughs> your brain wants to make sense of things and it'll just go right over things, you know, in its merry little way. And until you see it in something different, uh, you're not going to pick up on those things. So those are the two best things anybody can do for their writing to make a huge difference right away. It makes a huge difference. I know also a few people that have their computer read their work to them. That's really good because you do need to have a print copy or another copy as you're going along because if the audio version is a little funky, you have to know where to go make that change mm-hmm. um, because it reads it in sort of a monotone. And so then you are not putting your own emphasis on the words that you do mentally. And so sometimes that can pick up some odd things. It'll certainly pick up um, words your brain would, might automatically correct. It'll, it's not going to know that because it's a computer program. So it's just going to read whatever is right there. So it can help you pick up with typos. Uh, I was just saying today that I really dislike the autocorrect feature um, in Word and Scrivener too, because it makes it a real word. And it means my brain is more likely to skip over it than to notice if it was some weird combination of letters. Uh, So any of those things that help you put some distance between yourself and your writing are fabulous ways to just catch a lot of things that, you, you know, you wouldn't, because your brain would just automatically fill in for you. I had a reader once catch... Uh, in my in one of my historicals uh, I missed it the editor missed it um, I, I honestly can't tell you why it was missed because I thought I wrote it correctly the first time but who knows maybe I'm wrong and because again your brain corrects well the words you know when somebody's agreeing with something old you know more antique language would be they'd say here here mm-hmm. you know and we don't say that now. Now we, you know, we might say hallelujah, amen, or that's right, or you tell them, you know. But back in the day, back in the 1800s, it would have been here, here. And <laughs> there's two different ways to spell here, H-E-A-R and H-E-R-E. And <laughs> uh, in like two different places in my book, it was it was spelled incorrectly. And mm-hmm. I did not catch it before it went to publication, even on the you know return from the editor. And I was so embarrassed when a reader caught it. But you it's know? true. Um, and there was a, a proofreading study. You can have three proofreaders and you will still get about 90 percent, but you just don't get to 100 percent. You know, you'll catch 90 percent of that stuff. I had five readers on protective custody, and I think there's probably still two errors in that book. <laughs> I, I've had that same type of thing happen, and it just kills me. And then, and then there's trolls. So mm-hmm. you're you're out there, and you're getting reviews, and um, somebody puts up a one star troll review, and actually lies. Oh uh, yeah, right. And then, and then for whatever reason, Amazon or whatever will highlight that review. Of like, course. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. And 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 the fact is that that is not true. And so it's like getting a. Letting that go is really, really hard when somebody's not telling the truth. So, you know, that comes into the trust factor between an author and an editor. Some authors don't want to hire an editor because they're scared of money. Mm-hmm. So we can talk to that. Some authors don't want to hire an editor because for some reason they think letting go of their words before they're published means that they're going to be stolen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the real world... <laughs> you better hope they fix those words before they get out there because you could have here, here, be here, here, and not be the right here, here. <laughs> exactly. True. 
That is a funny thing about the idea that things can be stolen. I, you know, we all know, I, I can't imagine wanting to take anybody's story. Anyways, I have so many of my own that need to be written. I can't imagine that I would want anybody else's story. And uh, I, yeah, we, I think we kind of sort of laugh about that. Yeah. How do you pick a good editor? I think what is very key is to get a sample edit to begin with. Um, because now though, if you don't, if you've never worked with an editor, how do you know the sample edit is any good? I think you want to feel like they understand your story they understand the story you're trying to tell and they're not trying to change it, um, that they're not trying to change your voice. That's really important. A lot of times I'll say to my clients, I want you to say something like this, but use your own words. You know, this is how I would say it, but that's not how you would say it. So use your own words. It's really important that they write in the language that is works for them. Um, and I think when you read it, it should feel it should ring true. That the suggestion should be like, yeah, that's, I was trying to say that, but I couldn't quite get it. Or, yeah, that really, it seems like you really do know my character. That's something my character would do. That makes a lot of sense to me. Those are the kinds of things that you want to look for. Um, I always would ask that people, you know, get recommendations from other writers who they've worked with. Now, again, what's works for one person may not necessarily work for another. Yeah, because there's strength in genre. I mean, the editor may not be skilled in that genre, but then they should tell you that. Exactly. And it will it will depend. You know, again, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. Uh, but that's a great place to start. And the samples, again, it should feel, it should ring true to you and what you feel like your story is. Um, obviously, industry credit, someone that has, that understands the industry and has, and understands what works in the industry, works with your why. If you are just doing something that's like a family story, I had a, a friend that wanted to tell her her daughter's adoption story. And that was fine. That was a completely different goal than something to be out, you know, published mm -hmm. for the world. This is going to be family and close friends, completely different kind of thing. But you want an editor that's going to understand if you're trying to get into a certain publishing house, you're going to want an editor who understands what that house is looking for. And so real quick, before we get into Scrivener, just real quick, um, what kind of a financial expectation should an author have in hiring an editor? It's probably going to be more than you think it is. <laughs> it may be one of your biggest expenses. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, I would say for most people, you know, depending on how much you spend on your cover, because that can be a, a pretty wide ranging thing, it's going to be your biggest expense in your book. Um, and it's worth it because it does make the book so much better. It's, you know, again, if your goal is to to use this as, you know, a job, you know, obviously not necessarily replacing your job as income, certainly right, not right away. But if this is something you want to do in a professional manner, um, then you're going to want, you're not going to want reviews that come back saying, you know, this was a crazy book. I had no idea what was going on or the characters couldn't relate to, or there was 50 million typos. You don't want those kind of reviews and you want people to pick up your book and to be excited about it and to want to read your next book and be excited about that. So from that standpoint, it's really an investment. It's like we've talked about before uh, going to writers conferences and learning the industry and the expense that you have with a writers conference. I would say it 
it will probably cost you about the same amount as a good writer's conference. You know, we're talking upper hundreds, lower thousands um, of dollars for depending on how long your book is and how much work it needs. But it's an investment and it's personal, whereas you can go to a conference and you can take classes and you can certainly learn a lot. You don't generally have someone looking at your whole novel. You might pay for a critique for the first chapter or two, but rarely do you have an opportunity for someone to look at your whole novel. And so you just don't get that kind of opportunity any other way. Um, If you can't afford, you know, an editor, and that's certainly the case, then I recommend really trying to find good critique partners or getting an edit of just the first three chapters and learning from that and seeing if you can apply it to the whole rest of your story. Some editors will just you know, look at your overall synopsis and give some ideas on your story arc. There's ways to sort of find things that will fit within your budget that you can learn, uh, learn from, but it is an investment. Okay, we have two minutes left. What's your favorite top tip using Scrivener? Scrivener. Anytime you could use a notebook binder or a file cabinet, consider using Scrivener. It is an excellent place to store everything related to your story. Pictures, research, um, story ideas, scene ideas, character sketches, everything, it goes in Scrivener. It's fabulous. And tell us, please, your your website is jennifervanderclip.com. And the book we talked about today that you wrote was called Protective Custody. But if somebody wants to find you as an editor, do you have a different site or do they go to Jennifer, jennifervanderclip.com? You can find it through that site, but I also have a professional site. Tandem Services is my company, and the website is tandemservicesjvk, which is my initials, .com. And you can find me through there. Also, I have uh, Facebook pages for both of those, and you can find me that way as well. And she's also a pencil dancer. Pencil dancer every month. (laughs) (laughs) We're so glad that you were able to be with us here today, Jennifer. We really appreciate it because I know there's a lot of people that have learned a lot from you. And I hope that everybody will go out and pick up a copy of Protective Custody, whether it's on ebook or whether it's in paperback. Um, And do you have any audiobook yet? Not yet. That is my next project. Woohoo! All right. I can't wait to hear that. thanks, Thanks for having me, Angie. This is so much fun. I always enjoy talking to you. I'm so glad. Thank you. And we'll have you back again in the future. We've got some more books coming out with you. So if you want to find out more about Jennifer, jennifervanderclip.com or tandemservicesjvk.com. And you can find out more about me. My name is Angela Breidenbach and that's B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And I hope you'll be back with us next time and get lit up about the literature world from books to movies. All your dreams come true. Thanks and bye. Thank you for joining us on Lit Up. Light up your literary world. Expand your imagination. Enhance your life. Lit Up will be back next week with another great conversation. Join us, won't you? Right here on Lit Up.